have had the privilege of sharing God's word with us uh, over the last two Sundays. Um, and so today we bring this to a conclusion. We've been looking at a series we've titled uh, Tears of Jesus and some of the things that we can learn uh, from the tears of our Lord. Our text today comes from Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 7. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 7. In the first installment, we saw that our Lord's tears remind us that he walks with us and he weeps with us in the times of our pain and suffering in this broken world. We also saw in the second installment that Jesus weeps on account of our sin, that what God feels towards your sin and mine is not just anger, but also grief. He is not just severe, but also kind. He is compassionate and merciful toward your sin and my sin. And he knows that our rebellion will cost us destruction. And so he weeps for us in compassion. Our text today reveals the third instance that we are told in the scriptures where Jesus weeps. This happens on Good Friday. He is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and the author of Hebrews pens this down. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 7. The scripture says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was hard because of his reverence. The tears of Jesus in this particular instance are given to us in connection to prayer. They thus become instrumental in teaching us concerning the Lord's prayer life and therefore by extension our own prayer life. There are three things that I'd like us to note as lessons from the tears of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. The first thing is that they demonstrate that God has designed that prayer should be passionate. Secondly, God has designed that prayer should be persistent. And thirdly, God has designed that prayer should be pleading. So firstly, that prayer should be passionate. Notice, he says, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplication with loud cries and tears. Would have been interesting to be part of a prayer session that Jesus was praying at. Many of you have been vindicated by this verse. Jesus cried with loud cries and tears. Some of you pray in your heart. Others with loud cries and tears. The tears of Jesus here revealed that his prayers were passionate. They were felt deeply. To be passionate about something is to feel deeply concerning the thing that you are passionate about. It is to have your emotions invested in the thing. That's why oftentimes when you're speaking to someone concerning a subject, you can at some point say to the person, you are quite passionate about this issue. 
Because you note that the more they speak about it, the more animated they become, the more it begins to show on their face and in their intonation. And you begin to almost tell them, you know, see Mimi Nilifanya. Because their passion is clear. Passion is not something that you can hide. You cannot be secretly passionate about something. Passion eventually shows. And in the life of Jesus, that he is deeply invested in his prayers, in the thing that he is asking God about, becomes evident. The scripture says he cried out to God with loud cries and tears. These were not the roadside prayers that you make, oh Lord, I pray to find a free parking spot. No. These are the sort of prayers that Jesus told us about, that you enter into your closet, you shut the door behind you, and you cry out to the Lord your God who only can save you. This is passionate prayer. Jesus will not be the first to pray like this. The saints of old often prayed with deep affection and emotion as well. And God is concerned about the fact that our prayers be passionate. God doesn't want our prayers to be flippant, listless, without passion. He wants our prayers to come to him passionately, and he takes note of it. Remember the story of King Hezekiah? In 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 5, we are told that God heard his prayer. He says this, I have heard your prayer, Hezekiah, but note what he adds, and I have seen your tears. It's not just the prayers of Hezekiah that God heard. He also saw the tears that Hezekiah wept in his prayer. If it was not important that our hearts be involved, that our emotions be present in the prayers that we pray, then God will not have included this phrase in our reading today. I have seen your tears. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 10, reading about Hannah, we read that she was deeply distressed and she prayed to the Lord and she wept bitterly. The Bible will tell us about this instant that Hannah's lips were moving, but there was no sound that was coming out, so much so that Eli, the high priest, misunderstood her and asked her, why are you drunk in the morning in the house of God? And Hannah said, no, my Lord, it's not that I am drunk. It is anguish of soul. I have wept bitterly before God concerning this matter over and over again. Words fail me. My lips are moving. But only anguish comes out. The scripture tells us about Elijah years back before this incident that he prayed earnestly before God. And the Bible says that in, in chapter 18 of 1 Kings that he went up to, top, to the top of Mount Carmel. He cast himself down upon the earth. He put his face between his knees. That's passionate prayer. You don't pray like that when you're looking for a, for a parking spot. Well, unless that parking spot has something to do with saving your life for whatever reason. But Elijah, the scripture says, he was praying earnestly. 
You see, this is important because the scripture actually says that God takes note of your tears and mine. The scripture says in the book of Psalms, chapter 56, verse 8, you keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. Notice that. He says, you have collected all my tears in your bottle. You keep track of all my sorrows. There is not a tear that you weep before God in prayer that is lost. He keeps track of each and every one of them. He collects them in a bottle. Some of you have many bottles by now in heaven. Others have none whatsoever. You have never wept. Well, obviously, this is a poetic sense in which David is trying to communicate that your prayers are hard, your tears are seen. There is not a tear that is lost. There is no sorrow that is unheeded. There is not a grief that is unnoticed. And like the many saints before him, now the Lord's prayer is not light, it's not flippant, it's not listless. He has his heart in it. His emotions are present in his prayers. He is crying out to God with loud cries and tears. This is one of the reasons why God calls us to private prayer. Because when you're private in your own closet, you're able to cry out to God without concern for how the other person will think. Have you ever been praying and sometimes even English fails you? The thing you want to speak to God, English cannot communicate what your heart is feeling. And you find that you're slowly sliding to either Kikuyu or Luo or Kamba or Kisi. And if it's Kisi, it's a bit musical. Have you ever heard... (laughs) I remember two uh, KC men were speaking and one of their friends uh, added himself to the conversation and asked them, are you speaking or are you singing? <laughs> that means that there is something about it. It means that your, your heart is in it and, and you're finding that language is beginning to fail you, to communicate what you want to express before God. That means that your heart is in it. Your prayer is becoming earnest. I am concerned that oftentimes believers pray, but their prayers are not always earnest. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews, sorry, James chapter 5 verse 16, it is the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man that avails much. Not just the prayer of a righteous man, but the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man. It's very easy to know if your prayers are honest. Here's a good diagnostic question. Do you remember the things you prayed for? Some of you prayed yesterday. Do you remember what you prayed for yesterday? If you don't remember, it was not honest. You cannot forget an honest prayer. A prayer you prayed in your mother tongue, with your head between your knees, weeping before God. No, you don't forget that kind of prayer. But if you have made prayer routine, you've made prayer, it's routine. It's the thing I have to do when I wake up in the morning. It's the thing I have to do when I've heard about a crisis. Then you will easily forget the things that you've asked God for. Jesus calls us not to pray like that. He weeps in his prayer with loud cries, the scripture says. 
In the book of Luke, when he's speaking about this incident, the scripture says, being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Here's a question to you, beloved. Do you pray like this? God does not have any interest in dispassionate, listless prayers. He desires that our prayers be passionate requests as evidenced in the prayer life of our Lord Jesus. Secondly, the prayer of our Lord is persistent. It's not only passionate, but it is also persistent. Notice how our text begins, in the days of his flesh. It doesn't say on this particular day. No, it is in the days of his flesh. This is something that Jesus did often when he was on the earth. In Luke chapter 5, verse 16, the scripture says, but Jesus himself will often sleep away into the wilderness to pray. He would often. They were with him one minute, and then the next he would sleep away, and he would go and pray, and he did this often. He was really living out his own teaching. In Luke chapter 18, the scripture says he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray. To be persistent means to continue steadfastly in the course of action despite the difficulty that might present itself. In this very prayer, if you read it in the book of Matthew, chapter 26 from verse 36, when he calls his disciples, uh, part of his disciples, to go with him to Gethsemane, this is how he tells them from verse 38. He says, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. He says, my soul is very sorrowful. Verse 39 says, and going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And so Jesus has sort of left his disciples. He's gone a little farther from where they are. And this is why, by the way, Jesus will take his prayer sessions to the wilderness. Some of you do pray with loud cries and tears, but in the morning when everybody else is asleep, and you wake up everybody else, and when they tell you about it, you say, you know, I'm being persecuted for my faith. No, just be like Jesus. It's not persecution. Just wake up early and go somewhere where you won't trouble anyone. He goes to the wilderness and he is in Gethsemane. And even then, he distances himself a little farther from where the disciples are. And he begins to pray and to weep before God. And he says to the Lord, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And he is saying that to God and he is praying. After some time, he comes back and he notices that he's only hearing himself pray. He's like, hey. So he looks back and he discovers all the disciples are sleeping. So being the concerned man that he is, he stops his prayer and he goes and the scripture says, and he came to his disciples, he found them sleeping and said to Peter, I don't know why he chose Peter. Maybe Peter was snoring the loudest. He says, could you not watch with me one hour? Have you ever let this verse convict you? Just allow it to convict you. Jesus says, could you not? You know how? Like Jesus is using the bare minimum. 
Jesus is like, okay, like just one hour. Right? That's, that's the bare minimum. It's like, like, really, you couldn't just watch for one hour, which means maybe they got to 50 minutes. You have not yet gotten to 50 minutes. This is just one hour. Like, this is the best. This is, let's start at one hour. Allow this to convict you. Marinate. Marinate in this so that your heart is convicted with your five minutes of earnest prayer in the morning. Jesus says, could you not wait with me one hour? Then tell them, watch and pray so that you will not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Don't you love how, how, how kind and compassionate Jesus is? He tells them, I, I understand you. I know you mean well, but you're weak. But, but rise, fight it, pray. Some of you would have started fake friends. You need people in the hour of what, when you really need them, they desert you. See how passionate and compassionate our Lord is. He says, watch and pray so that you may not enter into temptation. Then he says, verse 22, again. So he leaves them. He went and prayed. My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Did you notice he basically said the same thing with different language? Because the first time he said, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but your will. The second time he says, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. The scripture says, again, persistence. He went the first time he prayed. He went again and prayed. And after praying for some time again, he noticed, you know, they had started loudly and then he noticed, died down, died down, died down. So he came back and, he, and they were sleeping. And he asked them again. The scripture says he found them sleeping. The Bible says for their eyes were heavy. Some of you know this experience. Some of you are experiencing this experience right now. If I catch you, if I catch you with heavy eyes, when I am talking about heavy eyes, they're like you want to practice the sermon. You practice it in your own prayer time. Verse 44 says, So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time. Now I want you to notice this phrase, saying the same words again. I was so encouraged one day when I read this for the first time. Have you ever noticed sometimes in your prayer you are saying the same words again? And sometimes people have discouraged and said, ah, God had you the first time. Jesus knew that God had had him the first time. And yet he came to prayer with the same words again. Why? Persistence. Sometimes people say if you pray over the same thing over and over again, it means that you're not, you're, you don't have faith. No, oftentimes it actually is the evidence of faith. You trust that he will hear you. You trust that he will respond. That's why you came again and again and again and again. Persistence. It reminds me of the story of Elijah. When Elijah went to pray and to ask God to bring the rain, the Bible says he went to the top of the mountain, put his face between his knees, and he began to pray and asked God to bring the rain as God had said that he would bring the rain. And then he sent Elisha, go and check. I always wondered where Elijah was praying from. Could he just look up? Maybe he was in a cave or in a house somewhere. So he sent Elisha. 
I would say that Elisha went, looked around, came back and said, nothing, still dry. What did Elijah do? He continued. He prayed. Continued. And then after a while, he sent him back. Elisha went, checked, nothing. Came back, said, nothing. What did he do? Continued. Prayed, prayed, prayed. Says, go check. That tells you the faith of Elijah. Elijah expected an answer. Sometimes I fear that when we pray, we don't quite expect an answer. Elijah was sure something would happen. So he sent Elisha. Elisha went checked. Bible says he continued this seven times. Finally, Elisha came and he said, well, there's something very, is very tiny. I don't think there's anything we should be too concerned about. It's this size, the size of a human fist in the sky. Bible says Elijah was done. He says, now prepare for the abundance of rain. He prayed persistently. The question before us is, are we persistent? Or have we given in to the instant faith generation? Where if I pray for it now, it has to happen now. And if it didn't happen, then God didn't hear. Sometimes we even God give, give God timelines. God, this prayer is for between now and two weeks. If you don't answer it in two weeks, you know, manifest your glory, Father, in two weeks, please. There's a timeline to this manifestation of your glory. Beloved, haven't you read about Isaac and Rebecca? They prayed for a child for 20 years. 20 years. And mind you, there had been a prophetic word that God would give them a child. These are the descendants of Abraham. And God had told the descendants of had told Abraham that he would have a great nation. Now Isaac was childless. For 20 years, the scripture says they prayed. And one day after 20 years, a child was born. Twins were born to them. Jacob and Esau. 20 years later. I wonder at what point you decided that God had not answered your prayer. I wonder at what point you decided there is no need to continue being persistent. Didn't you read Abraham waited for a child for 25 years? And even he had a promise from God. The prayer of Habakkuk was answered 600 years after he prayed it. Beloved, are you persistent? Can you go before the Lord again and again and again for the salvation of your spouse, for the salvation of your child, for the salvation of your sister? Can you go before God about this uh, health issue that you've had for a while? Are you, are you persistent in your prayer? Or if you pray for a few minutes and there's no answer, then you go like, well, doesn't look like God intended to answer that. Beloved, God has his own timings. But his timings are always perfect. And the persistence that we have in prayer is not for him, really. It's for us because God is using it to cultivate patience. And we should throw away the idea 
That just because we prayed once and nothing happened, then it means it was never the will of God to answer that prayer. I mean, don't get me wrong. There are certain prayers that you can know that God has not answered. If you're praying for a particular brother that God will make the brother your husband or the, the, the girl your, your wife. I mean, on their wedding day, it's pretty clear. <laughs> Don't be like, no, 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 pastor said. <laughs> no, it's pretty clear at that point that uh, God's will for you, you know, that cup is somebody else's now. But there are certain cases where I wonder how we decided that we will not persist in prayer about this particular matter. At what point did you decide that God is not going to answer this prayer? No, the scripture tells us to be persistent in prayer. And then lastly, we learn from Jesus that his prayer was not only passionate and persistent, but it was also pleading. Hebrews 5.7, as we've read, the scripture says that he cried with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was hard because of his reverence. Notice that phrase, to him who was able to save him from death. You see, to plead is to argue our case with God in a fervent yet humble manner. Jesus here was pleading his case. He's sort of saying, God, you are the only one that can save me from death. In Mark chapter 14, verse 36, we are actually told better. He says, and he cried out, Abba, Father, all things are possible to you. Take this cup away from me. Notice that phrase, all things are possible to you. He's making a case. He's calling on the omnipotence of God. He's saying, Lord, the thing in question here is not your ability. You are able to do all things. There is nothing too difficult for you, oh God. In light of that, in light of the fact that you're omnipotent, take this cup away from me. But I also know that you have a will. And so I submit myself to that will. He's making a case. You see, pleading is not just petition. It is petition that has been reasoned out well. It's not just requesting, but passionately appealing. When we plead, we are making our case before God as to why he should grant our request. It reminds me of the Syrophoenician woman that came to Jesus in need of a miracle. And she comes to him and Jesus is having this discussion. The Bible doesn't even tell us that Jesus turned his face to look at her. He went on with his business. And the woman came to him and said, Lord, I need a miracle. And the Lord said, I cannot take that which belongs to the children and give it to the dogs. You know, at that point, that woman would have been like, hmm, and you call yourself a prophet. This is how prophets talk nowadays. It's okay. And left, and went and badmouthed Jesus all over the place. No, you know what the woman did? The Bible says she argued her case. She said to the master, says, yes, it is true. I agree with you. The children's food should not be given to the dogs. But oftentimes when the children are eating, crumbs do fall. 
and dogs eat those. The Bible says Jesus turned and said to everybody else, I tell you the truth, in all of Israel, I have not seen such faith. And he said to her, go, your daughter is well. Why? She argued her case. This is what happened with Hezekiah. When Hezekiah had been told by the prophet, you know, Hezekiah fell sick, sent for the prophet, the prophet came and told Hezekiah, Hezekiah, Hezekiah asked the prophet, I want to know how this sickness ends. The prophet said, well, please put your house in order. If there are people you love and you haven't told, tell them. Put your house in order. Write your will. Make sure who knows where is what going is, is, is not ending in life. The Bible says Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and wept sore before God. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and wept sore before God. What was he doing? You read his prayer in Isaiah chapter 38 from verse 18. You know what he was doing? He was pleading his case. He said to the Lord, Lord, if I die and go to the grave, how will I praise you there? Haven't you, haven't you called us to praise you? But those that go to the grave cannot praise you. He said, Lord, if I die, who will teach my children to follow and walk in your commandments? And he continued to make his case after case after case, reason after reason, arguing his case before God why he should not die at that time. And the Bible says that God was entreated. And he sent the prophet and said, go and tell Hezekiah that I have extended his life by 15 years. He made his case. When Elijah prayed that it will not rain, you know, the Bible says that Elijah prayed that it might not rain. Many times people pray for rain, right? Elijah prayed that the rain should stop. Why? Because he read in the scriptures, in the book of Deuteronomy, that God had told them that if you turn away from me, I will shut up the heavens and I will dry out the dews so that you will be forced to call out to me. But for years, Israel had turned to Baal but the rain was still coming, and the dew was not shut. And Elijah was concerned, so he went and prayed earnestly before God, and he said, Lord, you said if we turn away from you, you will shut down the heaven and dry out the dew. Look, we have turned away from you, and the heaven is not shut down. And the dew continues. You are encouraging us in our wickedness. Lord, shut down the heaven. And turn off the dew. And the Bible says God was entreated. And he did shut down the heavens, and he did dry out the dew. The Bible says for three and a half years without rain. They looked for Elijah everywhere. They couldn't find him. He was being fed by a raven. He became a victim of the drought that he had prayed for. He was being fed by a raven by a brookside. Eventually, the brook dried. He had to go be helped by a widow. Finally, the time for praying for rain came and Ahab sent for him and he called him, you troubler of Israel. And Elijah said, I am not the troubler of Israel. You are the troubler of Israel. He prayed and he made his case before God. That's the same way that Abraham made his case before God. Abraham knew because God had told him in one of his quiet times that he was going to destroy Sodom. God said to him, you know, I've had terrible things about Sodom, I'm going to check them out. If what I have had pans out, 
I will burn out the whole place. They were having a walk with Abraham. And Abraham remembered that that's where Lot lived. So he said to the Lord, Lord, everyone, you destroy the whole place. The Lord said, yes, the, the whole place, everything. Say, how? Fire. I'll send fire from heaven. Burn up the place. He says, what if you find 50 people that are righteous? Are you going to destroy both the righteous and the wicked? Abraham was thinking God will say, no, I will destroy the wicked. I will leave the 50. But God is so compassionate. He said, if I find 50 people, I will spare the whole place. Abraham thought to himself, hmm. He says, okay, but what if you find 40? If 10 of those have compromised. What are you going? Are you going to destroy the whole place because just 10 compromised? He says, no. If I find 40, I will spare the whole place. Abraham said, hmm. What if you find 30? Thank you. If I find 20, I will spare everyone. You think, remember, he's remembering Lot. He knows Lot lives there. He's trying to bring it down to the number that will save Lot. So finally, he said, Lord, I'm sorry I, I keep doing this, but allow me one more time. 10. If you find 10. And the Lord said, 10. For 10, I will spare the place. You know, Lot and his family, I think there were eight. Abraham was thinking, surely Lot might have evangelized one or two people. <laughs> they will have gotten to 10, surely. All this time he has been there, there's no way he didn't win at least one or two converts. So God went. He counted one, two, three, three. There were eight. He says, well, our deal was if we found 10. So the Bible says he saved the eight and destroyed the whole place. But why am I telling that story? Abraham was making a case. Are you able to make a case? To go before God and have a case before God for your petitions. It's wonderful to go before God and say, Lord, give me my desire. It, it's great. That's wonderful. Give me this day my daily bread. But there is another place where we make our case before God. And I find that not many people pray like that. Making a case. Saying, Lord, if so-and-so dies, what about his children? If so-and-so does not become a Christian, what about his eternity? Making a case before God. Jesus makes a case before God. He said, Lord, you're all powerful. You can do all things. Therefore, take this cup away from me. But he does it cognizant of the fact that God has a will. And so he's not trying to demand from God. He's making a request. And he knows that God may grant it or not. But he prays and he pleads with God. Beloved, as believers, we must not shrink from pleading in prayer to God. Rather, we should allow it to take a routine place in our prayer lives in all Humility. 
In conclusion, notice the scripture says, and he was hard because of his reverence. The Bible doesn't say that he was hard because he was Jesus. It doesn't say he was hard because he was the son of God. No, he says he was hard because of his reverence. That means you and I can be hard too if we are reverent before God. It doesn't say he was hard because of his loud cries and tears. It's wonderful to pray with loud cries and tears, but we must never think for a moment that we are hard because our tears are many and our cries are loud. But let me encourage us by reminding us that this same Jesus who rose from the dead, remember he said to God to save him from death? What do you mean, save him from death? He wasn't praying that he should not necessarily die. His prayer was that in his death he would be saved. In other words, Jesus is actually praying here for the resurrection. That God will reach out to death and pull him out of it. That he would be saved from death. And Easter Sunday, beloved, is the proof. No wonder this scripture says, and he was hard. It is proof that he was hard. That on the third day when he rose from the dead, it's evident that his prayer ultimately to be saved from death was hard. And the reason why that is significant is because, yes, we know what happened on Easter Sunday, but I wonder whether we know what happens today. Why was he raised from the dead? The Bible says he forever sits at the right hand of the Father and makes intercession for the saints. He is making intercession for you. He is making intercession for me. And beloved, that same Jesus who was hard when he prayed 2,000 years ago, he is hard when he prays for you and I. Little wonder, despite your struggle with sin, little wonder, despite the fact that the road is narrow and difficult, you have remained on the path. It's not because you are so great a Christian. It's because there are prayers of our Lord and Savior interceding, holding you in place. The scripture says that he is able to save us to the uttermost. And one day he will present us before himself blameless, not because we were great, but because God who hears his prayers answered him. So that in the end, every single person for whom he died, who has been called by his name, will be presented, the scripture says, as a church without spot and without wrinkle, before him perfect. Because his prayers are hard. And so if you're here, and there is something that you're praying about, Beloved, would you be passionate? Would you be persistent? And would you plead with God? In one of these fine days, God might just grant that you will have a testimony. That I prayed for five minutes. Or I prayed for ten hours. Or I prayed for three months. Or I prayed for ten years. But today I stand to say that God had my cry. None of your tears will be wasted. God counts all of them and the scripture says that he puts them in a bottle and one day at the consummation of history the Bible says that he will use the prayers of the saints to bring all things to a close. And so he's the Jesus who understands our tears in pain 
He's the Jesus who weeps for you and I in our sins. He's the Jesus who understands our tears in prayer because he, he cried tears when he prayed. And his greatest concern was being separated from the Father. And he was separated. And on the cross, indeed, he was forsaken. But it was just for a moment. And the truth is that so that you and I would never be forsaken. And so that you and I will never be lost. And so I call out to you, if you're here and you're not a Christian, will you turn to this Jesus whose tears are so tender and who cares so deeply for you and I? And if you're here and you're a believer, know that he who wept so many tears one day will wipe your own tears. Uh, C.H. Spurgeon was right when he said, a Jesus who never wept could never wipe my tears. But we have a Jesus who wept. And therefore, one day he will wipe our tears. Not just to wipe them so that we will cry again. No, he will wipe them so that we will never weep again. So will you turn to him and live? Let us pray.